Dude, how about Craig Jones submitting Anthony Johnson? Can you believe that? Oh, I mean, that's the easiest money he's ever made. What? No, dude, that, is that the biggest upset that you've you've seen in jiu-jitsu before? No, like that is the easiest money he's ever made. <laughs> yeah, that must have just, I mean, they had to just have Anthony Johnson because he's a, a, a big name from the yeah, UFC. Yeah, I mean, even, even if he only made $100 in that fight, okay, which, which he obviously made more, mm. it's still the fastest $100 he's ever made in his life. You know, the easiest too, because it wasn't just speed; it was also very easy. Because Anthony Jones has no business grappling anybody. Well, it's weird to have Anthony Johnson in that competition. Competition, because he's not a guy who's known for his jujitsu at all. If anything, he's known for getting submitted by Daniel Cormier twice the exact same way and just having bad jujitsu. So it it had to just be a, a ploy because it gets oh, attention. Yeah. Especially yeah. since he's not fighting now. Craig Jones is is obviously a very talented grappler, and you know he's he's you know considering Cummings is no longer competing or at least not competing as much. Um, Craig Jones is probably one of the best leg lockers in the world. Um, I think I would give his leg locks even better than than Gordon Ryan because uh, Gordon Ryan has diversified his attack game, so um, the percentage of submissions by leg locks has decreased by Gordon Ryan has increased in Craig Jones. And, 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 you know, those guys all cross-train together all the time. So it's easy to see influences of one into the other. Um, no, Craig Jones has been very, very impressive. He had some major upsets in ADCC. He almost he was the first person to almost tap Gordon Ryan at a major show. Um, and, and he, you know, with that comes more seminars. It comes more tournaments, more super fights. You don't have as much, like you know, time off. So it wouldn't surprise me any that he's, instead of, you know, being a guy who prepares for a tournament, you know, get, gets himself a three-month camp, he's a guy who's just always ready because he can't turn down an opportunity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like this this fight he had with Anthony, you know, he had to be ready for that. He couldn't just say, I'm going to get ready for this one fight because what happens if next week somebody says, hey, I'll pay you ten grand to fight this person? He's right. say, yo, yo, I need three months. No, he's going to be ready all year round. Who does he train under? Um, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you who he started with. He started under an Australian, uh, uh, Lachlan Giles. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and then he, like I said, not, all these guys cross-train. You know, I've seen him uh, spend a lot of time with Donaher and Gordon Ryan and those guys. But it wouldn't surprise me that he visits like Trinity or other schools like that too. Everyone, welcome to the Just Jiu Jitsu podcast. I am Andrew Desimoni here with Crayler. Just introducing ourselves right off the bat because that's what you do on a professional podcast. Right. The mics are on. Mics are on, and the life is good. Air conditioning's flowing. Pretty much, yep. As soon as you walk out of the house, you are you turn into a California raisin as all the moisture <laughs> of your body is just sucked out. And then, well, and then just sits in the air next to you because it's so humid outside yeah, right now. The, the heat, I can take. The humidity, though, that's just brutal. I don't remember a lot of humidity when we were in Brazil. There's not. It was a comfortable heat. Yeah, and it was like 85, 90 degrees every day. I know. 
man yeah. it was beautiful yeah the heat i can take the, the humidity though that's tough we're tougher people up here are you <laughs> <laughs> don't look into that statement <laughs> all right this week is part two of the artist versus the strategist that's right last week we focused on the artist and we talked quite a bit about the strategist also but the focal point of this episode will be the strategist which as we were talking last week i don't think it'll be any surprise that i think you tend to favor or maybe relate more to the strategist uh, yes and no like like i mentioned last week i like to have a systemized approach you know to, to fighting but you know i think i think i opened with you know plans are plans are meaningless but planning is everything right so I'm a guy who believes in systems. I, I, you know, but my systems are not so strict that they do not allow for adaptation and, and, you know, versatility. When we talk about the strategist, I'm thinking someone who makes their decisions based on premeditated plans or systems. They can be very meticulous. You can be a little bit less strenuous in your planning. Do you think it's important for everyone to be a planner to some extent oh absolutely but again you your plans have to account for the lack of plans like for the lack for the fact that your plans could not work but if you're the ultimate planner you have a plan b a plan c a plan c uh <laughs> you also know the alphabet <laughs> that'd be that'd be a good plan <laughs> b c c c Oh, shit, what comes after C? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so a planner, a true planner would go, oh, no, this isn't working. But it's cool because I have this in the back seat. Right. And, and, and with everything, you know, there's got to be a certain level for any, any true plan to work. You have to allow for some level of flexibility and for some level of adaptation. Now, when we, we keep referencing plans. Uh-huh. Game plans, strategies. Plans will vary from skill level to an experience from person to person. Absolutely. For, let's say, a beginner, what should their strategizing be like? Because you can't, as a new person, plan for everything. Are you talking about, like, for, like, if they were to compete? Or are you talking about if I'm I'm talking about growth? I would say growth in just a general sense of, all right, I'm strategizing big picture now. I want to grow to this point. And I want to see my roles advance this way. So if you're looking for growth, your plans should be very simple. The idea should be, I want, let's say, I want to work my arm bars from the bottom. Okay, so you go to your coach, you learn a basic arm bar. Let's say an arm bar from close guard. Very fundamental, nothing super fancy. And then you try to do it live and it fails, right? So if you want to be systematic on and use that system for growth, right? That approach to growth, you would try that arm bar again and then it would fail again because you're a white belt. You just learned that arm bar. It's not going to work. And what you should do at this stage is instead of trying to become faster or stronger or, you know, half-assing or cutting corners, you should analyze the failure. Why did it fail? Is it because my opponent behaved the same way twice? Because if you behave the same way twice, now part of your system becomes on counterattacking or um, adjusting for that behavior. So let's say every time you armbar, somebody stacks you. Well, you have to have an answer for that so that they cannot stack you. Or if you do get stacked, you have a way out. 
that does not include giving up the attack, right? And then at a level above that, you counter both, you prevent and counter the stack. A level above that, you would never, they would never even have a chance to start stacking because they would be that far behind. And that goes into your setup, how you're setting up would prevent the stack, which would lead you to a better escape later. Should that person who has that game plan think to themselves, okay, whenever I start rolling with someone, I want to pull guard and try to get in that situation over and over as many times as well, possible. Absolutely. Well, that's that's where like, um, yes, that is important. A lot of people think if they train hard, like if they roll really hard, you know, if I'm like huffing and puffing after every match, that I'm getting better. That's that's not true. You're only getting better if there's technical growth, right? And if you're wanting to work your on bar from close guard, but you never find yourself in close guard, you have not improved. Um, that's why guys like Hajer or Neiman, they're very very big fans of technical rolling, where you start in the position that you want to develop. So you want to develop arm bars from close guard, you're going to start in close guard, right? Because that gives you an opportunity. Should your close guard fail, let's say they pass, or, or, or you tap them, or you sweep them, you reset to that position because it gives you another chance, another go at that place. Because if, if you don't do that, you know, what happens is you may not find yourself you know, getting to close guard, much less trying an armbar from close guard in five rounds. You know, it may not be something that you, especially if you're early on and you're learning. Yeah, well, and it's a nice way to uh, shake things up, especially the more you roll with the same people. It's so easy to get into a groove that you know where the roll's going. You know, oh, when I roll with this person, they'll usually, um, they'll probably spend a little bit of time in half guard and then they'll they'll eventually get around my guard and they'll be inside mm-hmm. control and then they'll go for the kimura how much should people look into adapting positional rolling into the game i mean ultimately it comes down to your coach right how much does your coach do and and how much does he require of you um i i think if you're incapable of achieving the position you're looking to develop consistently you should incorporate at least once or twice a week okay but, you know, you look at our school, we do technical rolling really, truly maybe once a month, right? Um, but I think I've beaten the mindset into everybody that the the goal of every role is technical improvement. So everybody is always trying new things without the fear of loss. But that's that's not very common. When we're talking about putting a strategy together, big picture, what part does strength and conditioning the physical well-being play in that whole strategy uh, so strength and conditioning it's tough because i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this but um i think your strength and conditioning should be only to allow for certain movements to happen and for you not to get injured and by meaning by when i say by allowing certain movement movements to happen i don't mean somebody who is strong enough to hulk out of something or force something to happen that shouldn't happen I'm simply saying some most people don't know how to use their bodies, you know. Um, so I've seen people that can't do squats. I've seen people that can't do a lunge or you know leapfrog, basic body movements, you know, jumping jacks. I mean, you watch the white belts that are doing jumping jacks. Sometimes it's 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 halfway comical, you know. There's so, a have you seen that video on Instagram? of a group of guys military, yeah. military guys i don't know what country they're from but it is right funny it's like they've never they've clearly never seen a jumping jack most of 
us probably grew up with jumping jacks at yeah, some point. You'd, you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I think, I think strength and conditioning, um, should mostly be about making sure that you're healthy enough to move the way you should and healthy enough that your body can take care of itself. You know, so you, you know, everything is in a strain, everything is in a pull, you know, you have a little bit of, um, your body can protect itself, so to speak. Unless you're, unless you're like competing to put food on your table, your jiu-jitsu should be very heavily reliant on technique. And, and, and even at that level, even at the, the highest competitive level there is, your focus should still be technique first, physicality second. So or third. <laughs> if you're sitting there after work in your car thinking, okay, should I go to lift today or should I go roll and always go, go to jujitsu? You should always default to, to roll every to roll. time. Every if time. your goal is to get better at jujitsu, if your goal is to have like smoking hot bod. Yeah, I mean, you can you can train to look good or you can train to, you know. Right. If your goal is to get better at jujitsu, you need you just d- default because you will get the fitness that's required to right. perform the things your body needs to perform right. through just doing it over and over. I mean, I mean, look at um. So, if if you look at let's say uh, a marathoner, right? Yeah, marathoners they tend to be light, skinny, thin. Um, tend to be on the shorter side of things. And then you look at, let's say, sprinters, right? Uh, they tend to be taller, Huge longer legs, yeah. um, gigantic muscle build, right? And both of those people, the, the Olympic-level marathoner and the Olympic-level sprinter, they're both at an incredible physical, top physical shape that they should be in. But they couldn't swap roles and do the same thing. It's not the same activity, right? So you can lift all you want to lift, right? And you can be gigantic. And if you have semi-decent technique and you have a lot of power and a lot of explosiveness, you could be difficult for somebody that has, you know, a similar level to yours. The problem is, is the guys that have the highest level, you know, they're going to nullify your your physicality so what it comes down to is for you to be competitive with them your technique has to be to their level and your edge comes in with the physicality right where most people think their physicality trumps their technique and then whatever little technique they have adds to it Um, and, and proof of that is the most common statement after a tournament loss or win i am so tired if I was stronger, if I was faster, I just gassed out. They were they were stronger. They were faster. I just didn't have the energy. How about we shut the hell up and say, my technique should have been better. Right. I'm guilty of saying that. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody says, I've said it, you know. But, but the reality is, if your technique is better, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. I mean, how many times have you seen you know, any of the top level guys. How many times have you seen Craig Jones go, man, like if I was just stronger, 
right? I mean, you don't see that. You know, he just fought a guy who was 80 pounds bigger than him. Well, I'm sure that the reason you see a lot of people now talking so much so much about strength and conditioning is you see at the so the high levels the Gordon Ryans and these guys who are they have a great skill but they're in incredible shape now too oh absolutely the the athletes the just athletes are far more prepared today than they were 10 years ago 20 years ago yeah I'm mean, I mean, 100% do you think a guy like Gordon Ryan would be better off if he just fo- I mean, he obviously does a ton of jujitsu, but he obviously works out a lot to get to to have the to be in the physique that he has now. You think he'd be better off if he stopped all the weights and just took that time and used it in the gym? I think Gordon Ryan was a better fighter pre the last seventy pounds he put on. I think he was a better fighter when he was one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy pounds. He fluctuated there for a while before jumping up to two twenty. I I I think he was a much smoother, much uh, much prettier jujitsu than, and that's not to take anything away from him. He's got pretty jujitsu now, but um, he was much smoother. And and um, I remember watching him thinking he was very slick, and then I watched him after he ballooned up to like two twenty or two thirty, and he fought at some like grappling industries. Like he came in just to like wreck that division, and he was gigantic. And, you know, there's nobody there to compete with him. There's nobody at his level. Um, but it was almost like he was moving through molasses. Um, and then I, I, some of that was adjusting to the bulk that he put on. Um, he's obviously adjusted. He's much faster now than he used to be. But um, his jiu-jitsu, again, not nearly as pretty to me. It, it, it feels, it, every time he moves now, it begs a question of, is it because he really had an off balance? He really had a pretty setup, or is it just because he forced it to happen? And and, and 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 again, but going back to the whole strategist, tactician type of thing, Gordon Ryan is a great example of one that he is very much a strategist, very much a tactician. Who are guys that come to mind while we're thinking about it that are ultimate strategists that you watch and see? They clearly have they have gone through in their head over and over systems and well uh, both the both of the ryans both gordon and nikki um they that's because of um john donaher you know that that is all right john danaher is a i think like the epitome of a guy who is this like the ultimate strategist yes we he has to be he, right he's a great example of like a general yeah he has to be because He's got, you know, physical deficiencies. You know, he's got hip and knee issues. He has to he has to strategize everything. He cannot allow, you know, for adaptability or versatility because it's in that moment that something could go bad and his body could not take the the pressure, you know? Yeah, I, I enjoy his social media uh, posts because he always is having paragraph paragraphs of just breakdowns of things where he's, he's... I think I think his paragraphs are almost as impressive as the systems he's created because it frustrates the hell out of me to type more than three sentences in an Instagram post. I know. Can you imagine sitting there all day typing those 18... He has to do... Paragraph, paragraph essays? He has to use, like, speech-to-text to do that. I would go crazy. Although then if you did speech to text, then you got to go back and fix it. You have to go back throughout the whole thing. No, my guess is he uses like, he probably like types it up on an email and then like 
downloads it to his phone. That would be my guess. And he just copies and pastes. What kind of effect do you think a guy like him is having right now on the way people view jujitsu? Because he, he does go very deep in his analysis. Um, there's a lot of imitators out there. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a lot of good imitators. Um, so, you know, when we talk about like the, the innovator and the, and the tactician, right? Brazilian culture tends to be more loosey goosey and tends to be more, you know, kind of, you know, make things happen and fly, you know, you know, do whatever they want, whenever they want more spontaneous. I know there's a stereotype of jujitsu classes where you come in and the instructor just whatever they want, teaches whatever they want for that day. And it just kind of bounces all over right. the board. And, and, and there's a word in Portuguese that you can't really translate to English. Um, but it means something along the lines of, like, the feel. Like, you know, Brazilians have a feel for certain things. That's why um, in the sports that Brazil, the Brazilians focus on, they tend to do better than um, other, other countries. You know, you look at soccer. There's nothing special about Brazilian soccer, but other teams, they try to copy it, but they can't quite do it as well. There's a certain feel that they have with, with, with the, the game, right? Um, it's the same thing for jiu-jitsu. There's a certain feel. And part of that arises from years and years and years of having to piece together classes that have absolutely no, you know, train of thought it's like today it's arm bars tomorrow it's chokes from the back and hey figure this shit out and and the entire culture is okay with it because that's kind of how they operate there's not necessarily a system to things right where i think in american culture um everything tends to be a little bit more standardized a little bit more systemized you look at schools how school operates here um how uh, college courses are done you know and it was only a matter of time before a generation of Americans um, became black belts and started teaching, right? And 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 with that, those teachers tend to be a little bit more systematic, or at least they tried to be, because they hated the sporadic, the ambiguous teaching that came from the Brazilians. And their students start to require it. Well, right, because now, now I have the option of going to this guy that's crazy, is all over the place, and Brazilian, and the guy who's a little bit more like thinks a little bit more like me right and yeah this guy over here who every class is different and then i don't know when i'm gonna get my next anything thi- my the next <laughs> basically gold star telling me i did a good job right. and that but i could go to this place and i know if i have this many hours i'll i'll right. get something right and and it becomes a cultural thing and and you know it was it was bound to happen where you know John Dunner is not the first person to create systems. It's not the first person to put, you know, a combination of attacks or series of attacks together, and he won't be the last. What John Dunner did is popularize the system, make it mainstream, right? So for for years and years and years, I've been teaching the same way. I've, I've not really changed much in my teaching style as far as, like, the progression of techniques. But I'm just doing me. Like I have no platform to push that, and I'm not saying that I, I'm I'm doing anywhere near his level or better than him. I'm, that's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's plenty of other people that have been doing it, maybe even longer than him, but have never had the platform. You know, John Donner has been teaching for twenty some years. How? When did you hear John Donner? You know, at most four years ago, three four years ago, and that's when the Donner Death Squad arrived at the scene and they started winning. 
But before then, the only people that ever heard of John Danaher were the MMA fans. And he was just like the secondary coach to George St. Pierre. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, but because it got this huge boom of publicity where now social media is a huge factor in the Jiu-Jitsu community, he got popularized and people listen to his voice. He's got a reach, right? And he's telling people, hey, a systemized approach is better than one that is not. And now everybody's like, hey, I got a system too. And, and the reality is a lot of those people were probably already doing something like it. Maybe not something as good, but something to that sort. I think his one of his skills that makes him so popular is his ability to articulate the yes. system right. in a way that you understand. Because I'm sure, like you said, there are people who have had systems in the past, but maybe English wasn't their native language. So right. they couldn't get that access to a huge swath of jujitsu people as easily as Danaher, who comes in, can just break down things in a philosophical way almost because right. I know he has that background right and and his his accent does help mm. um, that's something I've heard a lot is um, when you have an accent people tend to focus on you a little bit more can you do an imp- impression of it no I right, just thought I'd um, but uh, you know generally speaking if you have an accent people tend to focus more on you because they have to um, when you have the the fancier sounding accents let's say an Australian or British accent um, people tend to be drawn to that Scottish accents, um, but the 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 whole thing with him is he is a highly educated individual who also happens to be very intelligent, and he is an addict when it comes to martial arts. The dude does nothing. I mean, he just trains, watches, studies, reviews, and when you're he, you can see it physically because he only wears rash guards. Well, no, he's a practical guy. Has nothing to do with with. Oh, all right. You've said this before. <laughs> yes, he's a practical guy. I I still don't think it's the most. <sighs> it is the most practical outfit, and I'm not a supporter of fanny packs in any mean, but it is the most practical what, outfit. Okay, what, but would you say fanny packs are practical then? No. Why is a rash guard practical, but a fanny packs? Impractical? If I have to carry that much shit, that I need a fanny pack, like. I, I, I'm already not being practical. But if I have a life that requires such a like streamlined, then your life is jacket. Not no, no. The the rash guard is simply because it dries quickly and it's easy to wash. If I'm sweating so profusely and so lazy that I have to worry about washing things, then I've got issues. Or it's efficient because when you wash them, you're gonna have to wash them anyways, no matter what you wear. But if any pack helps you wear things efficiently and safely. Again, my point is, why do you need so many things? to put in a fanny pack. I mean, if, if you just carry a phone, your and wallet, your wallet that's and it. keys. That, well, keys maybe. You're in New York. You don't need keys. Well, you need to get in your apartment. Sure. That's it. That's all you need. There is absolutely zero that is What required. if you like to wear shorts that don't have like pockets? You wear gi shorts. You mean, you mean like trunks? Swim trunks? Or like gi shorts. The dude does no gi. Like, that's his big focus. Yeah, so if he's walking around in gi shorts, he has to have the fanny pack to throw his stuff in there because yeah. he doesn't have pockets. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't support that. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll both agree. You don't have to wear fanny packs, and I don't have to wear rash guards. Around. Absolutely. All yeah, right, yeah. that's fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he did he his life is jujitsu. Right, but but again, there's plenty of other people whose lives are jujitsu, but they're not all educated. They're not all as eloquent. They, they may not be as intelligent because you can be educated, just not be as intelligent too. Um, and, and he has devoted, like he's big, he's has a life of a monk, you know, right? Like the dude really doesn't have family, 
takes no vacations, doesn't buy anything extravagant, has little known vices. You but know? he does his he does have an expensive habit. He has a really expensive doll collection, like old oh. Victorian porcelain dolls. Oh, wow, I, that's surprising. I just want to put that rumor out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but anyways, so you know he popularized the idea of a system, but you know there's plenty of other people who's who've done it. You know, you, you take a guy like De La Hiva, right? Back in the in the eighties. You can't tell me that De La Hiva doesn't have a system for the De La Hiva garden. Like that that's that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to have a system. His mind has to operate that way in order to develop and create a new guard. Now, whether he teaches that system, that's a whole entirely different thing. Whether he believe he is able to be aware that hey, I have a system in my head, I need to pass it on. Because for him it just may be something he does right so there's a little bit of awareness there too you know so and dan her's coming up with all of all these things are coming together in a time where you have podcast youtube right uh, you can easily right. get it's that a, stuff it's, out it's like there. the perfect storm him waiting to release those dvds uh or his series of dvds was brilliant he could have released them when he was teaching saint pierre he's like hey i'm saint pierre's coach mm-hmm. well saint pierre is a champion learn the stuff that he's learning he didn't do it then. He could have done it when Eddie Cummings and Gary Tonin were tearing up all the underground competitions around New York, which there's like camcorder footage of. He didn't. He could have done it when they started winning the EBIs. He didn't. He waited until the perfect boom of the ADCC is happening. I have three students going to ADCC. You know, uh, St. Pierre's making a comeback to the UFC to get the belt from, you know, Michael Bispin. And he's going to win by submission, right? Uh, where everybody wants to interview me because of all my athletes doing so well. I have a bunch of shit talkers, for good or bad. Most of my guys are shit talkers, which brings attention to me and my team, right? My team continues to dominate. It's like a perfect storm to then say, hey, do what we're doing and present those DVDs. Right. Do you ever buy DVDs or no, get into the videos that I, people I, put out in series? I, I've personally never bought a DVD. I have seen some, but I, I have never bought myself. I never spent the money. Just don't feel the need um, to? No, it's not so much I don't feel a need to. Um, I, I think I think that, um, generally speaking, 95% of any instruction out there is complete horseshit. And the 5% that are there, um, the, uh, the 5% that are there, the techniques don't mean as much as the concepts behind it. And very few of those um, are good enough to, for, you to, for you to extract concepts from, or at least, at least for me. Mm-hmm. right? Because they may be saying things that I've, I already know, so it's not worth the money. Um, you know, as a as a blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, you may think, oh, the techniques is what I need. Well, no. What, what you really need is the idea behind the technique. Right? A kimura is a kimura. That doesn't change. An armbar is an armbar. You can be upside down, you know, face up. It does not matter. It's an armbar. It's the same mechanic. But the idea behind the armbar, the concept of behind the armbar, or the, the motive as to why doing this versus something else that is valuable that's what helps build and, and secure a system and there's from those five percent there's very few that have any worth in that regard i haven't really been tempted in the past to 
put the money out to get the DVDs. But the Danaher ones are interesting to me because it seems like he is big into concepts. Right. I, I have heard, um, I have heard <laughs> from people that I look up to in jujitsu that, um, well, it's great stuff. It's very verbose. And um, Einstein said that um, if you can't explain something to a six-year-old, then you just don't understand it well enough. That's not to say that Danaher does not know jujitsu. That is just to say that maybe he is over-chewing. He could explain it to a six-year-old, but he maybe just puts a little a little extra to it that I think he's teaching to it like a, a first grade, like a, like a one-year-old. Okay. You know, it, that's the problem. Like with, like with same thing with Hickson, like Hickson, um, I've had plenty of people that have gone to attend Hickson's classes and they're like, man, Hickson showed 18 techniques in this class. It was like one after the other in like a 20 minute period. Hickson's brain operates at that speed. He can comprehend 20 techniques or 18 techniques in 20 minutes. You may not. Mm-hmm. So you go home learning one of 18 thinking you're, you know, a piece of shit. I think he does a little bit too much of the other side. He assumes you're too stupid to keep up. Right. So I'm not going to explain it once clearly or even twice. It's a DVD. I can rewind and watch it again if I have questions. Right. I'm going to explain it 18 times because then you can get it. Right. Right. Which is okay. It's better to err on that side than on the side of... Um, I'm just going to assume you can get, you're going to understand, right? It's better to err on the side that you're, you're too slow than the side that you're too fast. Again, nothing wrong with it. Um, maybe they're worth buying. Where do you go to get info and learn more about jujitsu? Because you're not around, you don't get to go around the world and see black belts as often as I'm sure you'd like. You do seminars, so you get to meet, you get to see them where, when you're doing your, research what outlets do you reach for or do you just pour through a ton of Um, articles and videos i mean i mean i do a bunch of stuff you know um i have seen videos i have seen instructionals right people have given them to me and i have seen those um like i said a lot of them don't have a great value um i have i i think most of the biggest booms I've ever had in my career were early on when I would visit Stambowski because he's got a huge number of students. You know, he's got like 500 students at his school. So there's 10 classes a day. You're going to get a variety of people, a variety of levels and, and situations. Plus he's got a great mind. So I, I learned, a, I learned a lot from there and I tried to visit him once or twice a year to, to draw from him. Right. But, um, I think lately the biggest growth in in in, in the jiu-jitsu for me has been um, trying to understand behavior. So like patterns, like I said, like watching the, the Mundials, right, the World Tournament, and kind of going through them. ADCC, when ADCC happens, I watch every match, including like the the very beginning matches, which are not very good. And, and I look for patterns. Why are they doing this way? Um, an example of a guy who um, I spent quite a bit of time studying, particularly after his style was replicated, was uh, Flippy Pena, right? So um, also a huge athlete, very much on the side of, uh, he's the innovator to Gordon Ryan, Gordon Ryan's tactician, right? So Gordon Ryan um, fought him and lost, um, right, uh, the first time. And then they met again 
at ADCC and um, Gordon Ryan set up a heel hook on on um, Felipe Pena and Felipe Pena defended in a way that was completely unorthodox and completely unexpected which plays into his agent of chaos like we talked about and Gordon Ryan did not have a response for it he was uh, an innovator enough that the system that Gordon Ryan employed was not big enough to accommodate right and and I thought okay it's a fluke Felipe Pena is a freak athlete. He's strong. He's fast. Gordon Ryan himself has said Felipe Pena is the strongest guy he's ever grappled. I checked it off as he's just big and strong and athletic. And that nullified Gordon Ryan athleticism. And then the technique, the position was kind of, you know, 50-50 there. Um, however, Gordon fought Vinny Magalhães uh, a few months after ADCC. And set up Vinny with the exact same heel hook. He set up Philippe Pena, and he got it. Except Vinny imitated uh, Philippe Pena, moved the exact same way. Gordon Ryan still had no answer for it. And not only did this happen once in that fight, it happened twice. You know, Gordon Ryan was able to recover, re-enter into the leg lock, re-enter into the heel hook. Vinny did it again. And Vinny was super arrogant afterwards, right? Like, leg locks don't work. He's, like, shaking his finger and all that stuff. Um, and this is no fault to Gordon Ryan, right? Because I think he's very much a tactician. Um, but, you, you know, both Felipe Pena and Vinny Magalhães are, are Brazilians. So, by default, they, most of their training has been done around Brazilians or in Brazil, where the, the creative, the innovator is, is prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. And Gordon Ryan has been training under the ultimate tactician so what's going to happen if it hasn't already happened right um gordon ryan eddie eddie cummins anymore but gordon ryan and gary tonan nikki ryan you donaher i'm sure that they've not only studied how philip pena and vinnie just found a weakness in their system but they've found counters and ways to exploit it or avoid it so it doesn't happen again, right? And that's part of the tactician side. They have to keep adding because of the innovator. Well, as far as you learning, it sounds like you kind of just go to like the raw data now, not necessarily yeah. the the theorizing. I will go to people kind of regurgitating things and looking at the data and going, hey, here's what we found. Right. You're, you will go and just watch the hours of competition and action and then kind of analyze from there right well i don't have the i don't have the time oh i don't either that's why why i don't sleep or the yeah (laughs) well that's one way to do it do you see any downsides to strategizing can people over strategize um hesitate maybe afraid to pull a trigger because they're they're thinking of what may happen so no so the issue i have is not with a person that over-engineers the system. Uh, the issue I have is with a person that believes they have a system, right? Um, here's why. There's a huge boom for the drill-to-win movement, right? Um, there's books on it even where you're going to do this half-guard pass a thousand times a day for six months, that is going to be the only pass you'll learn. Maybe you'll learn two passes and you're going to do the second pass for another six months, another thousand times a day. And you're going to become the ultimate expert at this pass. 
you're going to become so good that nobody can stop that pass because you're just going to stick to it and you're going to do it again and again and again. And if you can't get it, you just reset and go again until you get it. Because once you get to certain steps, you're so good at it, nobody can stop. And, and it's very easy to become very good early on as a white belt or blue belt if you do that, right? If, if, if I give you one move in each position and I say, hey, do this a billion times. As a blue belt, you can go out and wreck competitions because you're, you just got more rep time, right? Um, the problem with that is that is not a system, right? That is a pattern of behavior, meaning you, you're, you're like a, a train on tracks, Right, as long as you're on those tracks, you're pretty much unstoppable. Right, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how slow the train's moving; you're never going to stop that train. There's too much power behind it. Right, um, until you get a guy who's an innovator or somebody with a true system that knocks that train slightly off tracks, and now you don't know how to get back into it because you've never spent the time figuring out different roads or different tracks to get back on the track that you want to be on, or the ability to even read a map. Right, the the person that thinks they have a system, but does not actually have a system, that is a person I have a problem with. Okay. Because they may be successful enough early on that it, you can, it's very hard to argue results with them. You know. So don't confuse a well rehearsed couple of actions for a thorough system. Correct. Don't get me wrong. Every system, at the end of the day, has to be well rehearsed. But just because you've rehearsed something very well does not mean it's a system. You have to understand the meaning behind something. You can't just know yeah. that. Right. Your system has to account for you failing. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like you, Your plans have to account for your plans not working. And when you don't, because you're, you're only doing this, like this has to work, right? Then you don't have a system. That's a good spot right there. Let's put the pin in the strategist right <laughs> okay. here. I like the last two we did. I think you, you got pretty deep and I enjoyed hearing you break those down and further convince me that you are a well-earned black belt. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. No problem. I mean, I always have like an email ready to go to Stambowski saying, dude, this guy is clueless. Horrible, he just right? doesn't understand yeah. it. Yeah. And then every episode I go, eh. I'll I'll delete one one sentence from this (laughs) and I'll wait. All right. All right. Let's wrap this up. What's the weirdest jujitsu dream that you've ever had? I did a flying arm bar in bed alone once. I woke up with my my legs and hips like pointing to the ceiling as if I was pushing somebody in the air to do a helicopter arm bar. Did you get them? I woke up as my hips came back down to bed. And you just shot your wife like... Oh no! This was like this was back when I was like fifteen or sixteen. Well, and that was how that was how your cat Sparkles died. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, what about what's your most awkward moment in jujitsu? Most awkward moment? Mm -hmm. Oh man, I've had all sorts of awkward moments. You have some that made you want to turtle up and crawl inside your gi and just. Oh no! I'm a pretty, pretty shameless person. I've had like I've had to like tell people like, hey, you you know you're your underwear showing i've had to tell people hey i know you don't have underwear because it's showing i've had to is that is that one of the most awkward things as a instructor is just the weird conversations you have uh, to have it with yeah people? yeah yeah i mean it depends on who the target is you know mm-hmm. like if if it's a if it's a let's say it's a high school girl that comes in and she's looking to train and she's never done anything before and then all of a sudden she she's trying it out so she's 
she comes in with you know what she thinks is the appropriate outfit let's say leggings and a t-shirt and those leggings have a hole and you know she has no idea that the hole's there because mm-hmm. it, the hole may have been created during the training right and having to go to, to her is awkward um i've had to tell people i tell grown men that they need to like you know shower and wipe and oh that that would be tough know, to have to tell a grown and, and and shampoo <laughs> and instructions for the shampoo and body wash and hey man uh, i'm not sure if you know this but after you take a shit you really you really should keep wiping until there's no more shit on the toilet oh, paper years and years ago i had uh i had a, a guy shit himself in one of the classes and um he thought it was okay to continue we had to stop <laughs> class and like completely you know, nuke the mats and, you know. Oh, that's bad. I'm not going to hate on someone for <laughs> shitting in class. If, if it's an accident. No, it, I am. I'm going to hate <laughs> because accidents happen. You can shit yourself, right? Yes, that part right? can happen. But if you shit yourself and you tell the instructor, hey, hey, I think I shit myself, just like that, the instructor may think, oh, you're fine. Keep going. Because, you know, if you really shit yourself, I would think you say I shit myself and run to the bathroom. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything. I'd be so embarrassed. You just run I would to the run bathroom. to the bathroom, right? And then get the fuck out of the school, right? Yeah, you would just see smashed pieces of poop behind me as I ran, right. ran, ran away. Right. You're not gonna like say, "Hey, I shit myself," and the instructor's like, "Oh, you're fine. It's okay, man. You know, like you're not hurt. Just keep going," because that's how the instructor took it. And then your partner's like, "Man, you really smell like shit," and then they're like. Yeah, but oh. my instructor said it's okay. <laughs> how how would you how would you have that accident and just think, man, I could push through this? That's not. Maybe they heard like the Rocky theme in their head, like da 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 da, and they're like, okay, Rocky pushed through his fatigue. Yeah. He pushed through working yeah. out in Russia in the mountains. I just have to push through this shit between my ass cheeks. Right. You know, or, or I've had to tell people that, you know, that they're not welcome back for certain behaviors. That doesn't bother me as much. It used to when I was younger, but it doesn't as much anymore. Um, you know, telling people, um, I'm trying to think what else is kind of awkward. I mean, at this point, everything's kind of normal. It doesn't mm-hmm. hardly anything phases me anymore. But Well, I'm, I, I just have to say I'm thankful that you've never talked to me about when I was working on the comptroller system, the, the breathing, I'm sure you got a lot of complaints about it, but you were always very supportive of me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very innovative um, approach and it could become a system. I think, I think, you know. Yeah. When people would come to you and say, Andrew's been like sniffing my neck a lot. I remember you saying, I know it's weird now, but just wait. This is right. like an investment. It's tough now, but it's going right. to have a big payoff. Right. And then like level two is like sniffing and moaning. Mm-hmm. Level three might be like a, like a soft lick. There, You know, there yeah. was a while during level two when I was working on that that I thought you were going to make me stop. But you... You kept, you let me, you let me keep working on it. I turned a blind eye to it. You did. (laughs) Lawsuits be damned. (laughs) All right. That's, that's good for now. We're, uh, we're going to take off and everyone have a great week. We'll see you later.